Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Tuesday the 9th of June. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Annika Smith-Hurst, and today we're going to brief you on the Australian state border closures. Is it time to open them up? More than that, Tom, is it even legal? A lot of people will be really frustrated. Some Aussies got away for the weekend. It was a long weekend in a lot of parts of Australia, but some states are still locked behind closed borders. We'll get deep on that topic in just a moment. First, let's look at the other big news stories of the day. To isolate or not to isolate, that's the question for tens of thousands of Aussies who went to Black Lives Matter rallies over the weekend. It's not fair. I'm willing to risk my health so that another black person isn't killed in custody. It's feared the rallies could spark a second wave of coronavirus infections across Australia. Yeah, we're all waiting to see how this pans out. Um, It could be really interesting either way. Here's what the president of the Australian Medical Association, Dr Tony Batoni, had to say about it. It's in that abundance of caution that we'll be able to ensure that we don't see an, an outbreak or an uptick. Not long after that, though, Deputy Chief Medical Officer Nick Cotsworth said this. There is no uh, current uh, recommendation that people who attended those uh, mass gatherings should do anything different, which is get tested if they become unwell. Two politicians who went to the Melbourne rally have confirmed they won't be isolating and will go to Parliament in person. I also saw an interesting article uh, in the Herald today, Annika, that uh, some Liberal MPs are saying that if these protests don't cause mass infections, then that's clear evidence we can end the rest of the lockdown and restriction measures. So that's pretty interesting. And that comes as today uh, in New Zealand, life goes back to normal. Um, the country's eliminated the coronavirus and will be removing all restrictions. Yeah, everything except for international travel will be allowed. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern says it doesn't mean it's over, though. We are confident... We have eliminated transmission of the virus in New Zealand for now. But elimination is not a point in time. It is a sustained effort. We almost certainly will see cases here again. What do you think of the the protest situation, Annika? If there there is no major outbreak, do you think it will actually change policymaking around the the lockdown and restriction measures? Look, I guess it could be used as a litmus test, but the flip side of that is if there are outbreaks because of these rallies, I think, you know, that could lead to a second wave and that could actually set us back in at least some areas. They've ruled out doing the sort of mass lockdown we've had for the past three months. But if we see outbreaks in certain parts of Australia, then restrictions will be enforced. The former Minneapolis police officer who killed George Floyd will front court today at the same time as a final memorial for Floyd is held in Houston. The charges against Derek Chauvin were up last week to second-degree murder and manslaughter. The other three officers at the scene were also charged. Yeah, that comes as crowds of protesters grew to their biggest size yet over the weekend. Uh, while Minneapolis has vowed to dismantle its police department. While the rallies there were mostly peaceful, it was a different story in the UK where an angry crowd in Bristol ripped down a statue of a slave trader and threw it into the river. Yeah, there are intense scenes there in Bristol and the government says more than 137,000 people went to 200 protests across the UK. 35 officers were injured and 135 people were arrested. Yeah, there was some incredible footage that came out too of one of those officers who was hurt, a policewoman who fell from her horse after protesters threw missiles at the animal, including a bike, and it caused it to bolt. And the debate in Australia is continuing as well around the treatment of our Indigenous people. Uh, Last night, actor Maine Wyatt delivered this powerful statement on Q&A. 
It's still happening right now to this day. This is, we're still talking about it now. It's a denial of what's happening right now. These institutions are killing us and, and it's just the continuation the whole time since 1770. China says a drop in international tourists visiting Australia is just the tip of the iceberg and yet another threat to cripple the economy. Yeah, China's been unhappy about our call for an international probe into the origins of the coronavirus, our support for Hong Kong and a crackdown on foreign companies buying certain Aussie businesses. And last week, China warned its citizens to avoid travelling here, claiming there's been almost 400 racially motivated attacks on Chinese and Asian Australians. And now, state-run paper Global Times, which often acts as a mouthpiece for the Chinese government, has published a piece saying our unfriendly attitude, not the travel alert, is what may really scare away Chinese tourists and students from visiting Australia. Well, I think the coronavirus is also scaring anyone away from taking Chinese tourists because most countries still have their borders locked. So it'll be interesting to see, um, I guess, how those warnings actually work if they stop Chinese people's long-term plans to travel outside of their country. The Chinese newspaper also mentioned that if Australia wants to retain ties with China, our biggest trading partner, it must make real change to our stance on the country or completely lose the benefits of Chinese customers. And Prince Andrew is back in the spotlight. Police investigating Jeffrey Epstein have reportedly asked British authorities to help them arrange an interview with the Queen's second-born son as part of a criminal investigation into the dead sex offender. Last year, Prince Andrew stepped away from public life after that train wreck TV interview where he said he didn't regret his relationship with Epstein who took his own life in jail while awaiting trial for sex trafficking. Uh, In that interview, he also denied he'd had sex with a teenager who claimed she'd been trafficked by Epstein. Earlier this year, a US prosecutor claimed he'd given zero cooperation despite promising to assist. Now it's understood that the US Department of Justice has gone over Buckingham Palace's head, instead filing a request directly with the Home Office. And overnight, the Prince's legal team put out a, a blunt statement accusing the Department of Justice of misleading the public and slamming the news as a publicity stunt. They say he's offered to help as a witness at least three times this year. All right, in just a moment, Australia's state border closures. Is it time to reopen them? All right, let's talk state border closures. Is it time to reopen them? This is becoming one of the most contentious issues of the pandemic at this point. The federal government and the New South Wales Premier want the other states to open up their borders faster, but the WA and Queensland Premiers in particular are pushing back. Yeah, and it looks like the public are actually with them. There was some recent polling that found three quarters of Australians support the border closures. Yeah, Queensland, Western Australia and the Northern Territory still have the tightest travel restrictions and those closures could last until September. The borders are technically open in Tassie and South Australia, but there you have to quarantine for two weeks upon entry. And look, it's costing the states hundreds of millions of dollars in interstate tourism and also interstate trade. But the trade-off is the premiers in the states where the border restrictions are in place have been able to loosen internal controls a little bit earlier than those people living in New South Wales and Victoria. Yeah, the Northern Territory was the first place you could get a beer at the pub and Chris Jobson is a Queenslander who wants the borders reopened. He lives in Queensland but works across the border in Tweed Heads where he runs a mechanics workshop. He's losing loads of business because Queenslanders aren't crossing the border to come to his workshop. Chris, how painful is this for you? Well, I tell you, it's pretty frustrating. It's it's hard enough at the moment with all, all everything that's going on that uh, they kind of shut our town down as well. It's a real inconvenience, to be honest. Like, I'm just about to... Uh, 
get dressed for work, head into work and uh, and have to sit in the queues and, and go through a checkpoint manned by 10 to 15 people. Tell us what it's like to live on a border town. How many times would you usually cross over the border during a day? And, you know, are there queues all the time? Are these things being enforced? Is it being checked? I'll cross the border maybe three or four times a day, whether it's something as simple as dropping my daughter off to daycare or going into the shop, into the workshop to, uh, to go to work, etc., or even dropping customers to and from their homes, you know. Yeah, it's, um, it's, 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 it's quite a problem. So, so you've been able to get an exemption to do that, right? But I imagine a lot of your customers haven't. So your Queensland customers aren't coming to your mechanic workshop anymore. Border residents get a little pass that you can put in the windscreen of your car and, and that's pretty much a, a ticket to go straight through the crossings. With that pass in my car, I um I haven't been pulled up once, which is on one side good because it's not uh, hindering me too much. But on the other side, well, what's the point? And just to play devil's advocate here, obviously the border restrictions were put in place to keep people healthy and safe, but do you think they've run their course or is it more the case that they never should have been in the place in the first place because it doesn't really help for towns like yours where they're split between the border? Yeah, I think it was a bit of an overreaction. I think it had it been thought through a little bit better. I think some pretty severe fines if you're caught travelling interstate would have done a, a much more effective job without sacrificing all the local businesses of the area. I think that scare tactic would have worked just as well as a border closure. So people are allowed to come across from Queensland to uh, engage in business with you, but you're finding that most people don't understand the rules and then that therefore is costing you lots of business. Is that what's going on? That is what's going on, yeah. I um, <laughs> A good example, on uh, on Friday, the uh, I, I went through and um, I'm planning to go away for the weekend camping with some friends and I asked a policeman on the border, I said, am I allowed to travel through with a, with a caravan? The police on the border didn't even know how to answer it. They just referred me to the Queensland website where you get your permits from. Yeah. I went there and then there's no information. So if you can't find the information, you're more than likely going to stay at home. A good friend of mine went to travel across the border to uh, pick up his takeaway just from a local, local takeaway shop and uh, he was refused entry because he didn't have a permit for one of his dependent children in the backseat of his car. So he had to get out and actually walk across, pick up his takeaway and then walk back, get in his car and drive home. It sounds like life's really been turned on its head for people that live on border towns, but obviously it's not just business, it's socially. You know, kids going to school on one side or on the other side of the border, families split between it. What's the vibe like in the town? It's, it's a little bit two-sided. There's the people who think it's a good thing, but they're the people who aren't affected they go, oh, well, I don't need to go across the border. But then it's the other people who are affected all day, every day, that are kicking up a fuss. And I think this is what it comes down to. I don't think enough people are caring about other groups of people well, because yeah. it doesn't affect them. It's clearly costing Queensland businesses a lot of money. But when you look at the polling, like the Australian Institute poll from last week, three quarters of people support these restrictions. Yeah. So how, how, do you, how do you feel about that? I, th- I think it's a little bit sad. I-, I think it's a little bit sad that people don't have the confidence to uh, to make their own decisions on on things, and they're just getting led by scare politics. Because that's what it is at the moment. I-, I just don't see any point to what's going on. I- I've crossed it every single day, and never once have I been asked about my health. Never once have my credentials been checked to say that the border permit is actually who I am and say I am. It's more of an image that they've tried to do rather than an actual physical, yeah, a, a-, a targeted response to stopping the COVID. I think they're working on fear rather than uh, practicalities. That was Chris, the mechanic who works in Tweed Heads but lives across the border in Queensland.
Now, this issue could be challenged in court and essentially found illegal. Um, It's not just locals that are upset. Businessman and former MP Clive Palmer has lodged a challenge against the WA border closures because he wanted to travel there for business. And in a separate case, backed by Pauline Hanson, she's taking the Queensland government to court. Yeah, they're trying to test Section 92 of the Constitution, which states that trade, commerce and intercourse among the states shall be absolutely free, which, of course, it's not at the moment, Tom. Yeah, so let's speak to a constitutional expert to see if Clive Palmer and Pauline Hanson could win this case. Professor George Williams, thank you so much for joining us. Do Clive Palmer and Pauline Hanson have a chance of winning? Look, you've got to say they have a a real possibility of winning this case, and that's because the Constitution speaks in very clear terms that movement and trade amongst the Federation must be free. In fact, those words in Section 92 of the Constitution say trade, commerce and intercourse among the states must be absolutely free. Now, there are some exceptions to that, including for a pandemic, but uh, the longer these restrictions go on, the harder they are to justify. At some time, a, a line will be crossed where they become invalid, and, and that's really what the High Court will have to determine, whether we've got to this point where these things can no longer be justified. Will it also depend on the, the definitions of those words, trade, commerce, intercourse, because a lot of trade still is happening, a lot of commerce still is happening. I'm not sure what intercourse means in this context, George, Um, but a a lot of activity still has been able to occur, even though the the movement hasn't been exactly free. Yeah, that's right. But what the Constitution says is it's all meant to be free. So you can't pick and choose. And uh, yes, of course, there's a lot of electronic commerce, for example. But on the other hand, if you're someone in Victoria and New South Wales who wants to go north for a nice summer holiday, uh, you can't do that. And, uh, you know, buying a holiday is a good example of interstate trade. So there's a lot of movement that uh, is affected uh, by these restrictions. And when it comes to intercourse, what that means is just personal movement. So maybe you just want to go to Queensland to visit a friend. Um, or maybe you want to go to Western Australia to see a family member. They're the sorts of things that, you know, at a personal level are meant to be protected in Australia because we're meant to have no internal borders for this type of conduct. And uh, so even though some things are happening, very clearly some things aren't, and it's those other things that could be the subject of a High Court challenge. We've had the Deputy Chief Medical Officer Paul Kelly say that health officials never told state premiers to close the borders. So do you think that's something that Clive Palmer or Pauline Hanson will use to justify uh, getting the borders open again? Yeah, look, without a doubt. So clearly there's a problem, there's a risk of infection, there's a pandemic, and uh, the real question is, are these a justified way of dealing with it? Is there medical evidence to say that closing the borders is a needed and useful way of keeping community safe? Now, very clearly at the height of a pandemic, you'd say there's a good reason for doing it. Uh, But as things wane, it gets harder to justify, and what the High Court will do is weigh up the medical evidence. That's going to be quite an interesting case if it all comes down to what's a reasonable way of dealing with this problem, because if you believe the polling from the Australia Institute, three quarters of Australians think this is a reasonable way to deal with it. And that polling was done just last week. Yeah. And it's it's why, even though there's a bit of anger out there, it's, it's possible these measures will survive. But the real question is how long can they survive? Because even though maybe what's reasonable now, well, in a month, is it still reasonable? Does the evidence still suggest it's needed? Particularly if the number of cases continues to dwindle to almost nothing in some of those other states. It's also a matter of where you're restricting movement from. So maybe it's reasonable to say if you're a Victorian, you can't go to Queensland, but what's the rational basis now for stopping a West Australian going to Queensland, given Western Australia itself has such a low count? It may be the High Court says, yeah, it's reasonable to stop some travel, but not other travel. 
And so if the, if the, if the border closures are arbitrary or overbroad, that itself could be a successful basis for the challenge. And you may even end up with different zones within Australia where some people can be locked out of Queensland and some others can't. That'd be quite an interesting um, circumstance if we got to that, George. Look, I have quite a uh, personal view of how long the High Court takes to make <laughs> decisions. I went through it earlier this year, but this is something that obviously has to be decided on quite quickly. So is it something the High Court will prioritise to try and get a decision before that September deadline when Queensland say they might reopen the borders? Well, and as you know, I mean, normally, you know, the High Court cases, is a real sense that they drag on for a long time. They can go for months, even a year. And if that happened here, well, it's really game over. I mean, the borders presumably will be open in that period of time. But the High Court also has a background that says if something's really urgent and uh, it simply makes no sense to delay, they can decide things very quickly, sometimes in a matter of days, sometimes a matter of weeks. And uh, in this case, I think you'd see the litigants saying, we want an expedited hearing, we need a quick decision. I'd be surprised if the High Court doesn't deliver one, given what's at stake. And so there's every prospect that, in fact, this will be resolved in a period of time that will put a lot of pressure on the states to put their evidence up and also get an answer before the borders would otherwise be reopened. That was constitutional law, Professor George Williams. Annika Smithhurst, a lot of this will come down to how quickly this case happens because the situation is rapidly changing. And as we were hinting there, you have a lot of experience in um, how long the High Court can take. Yeah, what we were alluding to was me challenging a, a warrant used to raid my home. Um, that case was heard last November and it took about six months for the court to decide. Eventually, thankfully, they chose in my favour. But look, it is a real waiting game and especially with these border closures, by the time they get around to hearing it, perhaps we won't be in this situation where the borders are closed. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how quickly they can sort this one out um, and how the situation changes in the meantime. All right, that's it for today's episode of The Briefing. Thank you so much for listening. Um, a very interesting one for you tomorrow. We're going to speak to Saf from Tiger King um, because last week the news came out that Carol Baskin was recently awarded legal ownership of Joe Exotic's zoo. So we'll see what Saf has to say about that on the briefing. Look forward to speaking to you then. A Podcast One production.